Welcome to the first Like a Bigfoot summer reruns. Uh, this is present day, Chris. Um, I feel like I have to like, we're doing like a weird time travel-y thing here. Um, but what you're about to listen to is one of my personal favorite episodes of the show. Um, and all of that has to do with the guest, honestly. Uh, Bo Miles, I'm a huge fan of Bo. Uh, if you have not checked out all of his YouTube stuff, he is a, he is one of the most creative adventurers around. He's a very experienced adventurer. Um, he has released a book since we released this episode. Uh, it's called The Backyard Adventurer, and I highly recommend it. I, I just gobbled that book up in like one day. Um, Along with that, I'd recommend the audiobook because I just love hearing Bo's voice and like having him tell the stories uh, that that are that take place in that in that book. Um, Bo has started a podcast called Boisms, B E A U I S M S. It's a whole lot of vowels, um, but it's fantastic. He does it every once in a while. He did it at first just to kind of promote uh, his book. But now he's kind of every time he releases a new short film uh, like Marathon My Age, that was his newest one. Um, when he releases that, he'll go in with Mitch Drummond, uh, his filmmaker, uh, director of photography, partner in all these films. And they kind of just talk about the process of making it. I've obviously geeked out about that. Um, but since we did this episode, he's released so many amazing uh short films on his YouTube channel. You should check them out. He has The Commute. He has Paddle to Work. Uh, he does one where he plants a whole bunch of trees in 24 hours. There's one about him just like getting revenge on a rock that hurt his friend during a trail running uh, session. Like his friend biffed it. So Bo ran out there with a shovel and dug that rock up and got rid of it. Um, but man, I got to tell you, like he's inspirational to me for so many reasons. But one is he's the way he looks at the world seems to be different than the way a lot of us do. Um, and he looks at the world with curiosity. Uh, he looks at it with this um, just complete passion for adventure, uh, passion for exploration and just discovery. And it's something I greatly, greatly, greatly look up to and something that I'm going to try to apply to my life this summer. Um and so, yeah, so this is the first rerun of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Uh, we'll be sharing a bunch throughout the summer. Some of them will be clips of podcasts. Um, and some of them will be like this one, which is just a full episode. And that'll keep us kind of up and going a little bit uh, while I head out and have many, many adventures. Uh, I just got done with uh, my last day of school. Um and I'm excited. I just was looking at my camping equipment and my adventure stuff in the garage. I was just in the garage, just looking at stuff. And I was just getting psyched, man. I'm so excited for all the all the stuff I get to do this summer and taking my eight-year-old, my five-year-old, my three-year-old out into the wilderness and hopefully, hopefully like ingratiating them with that love for these wild places like I have. So, um, so yeah. So we'll be back next week, but we're about to go back in time to past Chris and past Bo, which by the way, hopefully Bo, if you're listening, like I would love to chat with you again in the future uh, when we come back for season two of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Um, 
So let's get into it. Let's go back in time. Listen to our rerun. This is Bo Miles. Excellent moment. Uh, yeah, out and a half finished. Um, little uh, study, add on to the house. The sun's just coming through the window. That's awesome. Very good. How are you, mate? What time is it there? It's uh, it's 4 p.m. Yeah, we just spent all day with my kids uh, hanging out in a creek, basically. Excellent. Which I'm like, dude, if you want to entertain kids, have them just throw shit in a creek. That's like hours of entertainment yep. for them. Hey, for a bunch of 35-year-old men, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I throw a stick in and I'm like, I'm going to watch that thing float. See how that goes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm honored. No one's ever called me Mr. Bigfoot before. So Well there you go. That's uh it's a nice title. I'd, I'd buy a t shirt, Mr. Bigfoot. <laughs> right? That's a good one. I was gonna be like Mr. Oh, Bigfoot's that. my father. No, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> mm. Yeah, Sir Bigfoot's your father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So you you just woke up then, huh? Well, no, I've been riding for uh, the last sort of hour or so, okay. and my daughter, she's been up for just over an hour, but uh, she's had a sleep in this morning. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're approaching midwinter here, so of course, um, yeah, the sun's the sun doesn't get up till late, you know, or, yeah. or you know, sort of seven thirty or so. Um, uh, so yeah, and I tend to sort of sleep by the sun. I, I sleep a lot less in summer and do a lot more, and yeah, so yeah, I sleep a lot in winter. Yeah. How old's your daughter? Lazy bugger. She's seven months. Oh man! Congrats uh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks, mate. She's brilliant. She's great fun, and it's it's the best thing I've ever done. Oh man! Because you've got great. three kids, haven't you? I got three daughters. Yeah, I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Wow. Yeah, man. They. Uh... That's, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of energy right there. <laughs> oh, dude, it's a non-stop too. I turned my basement into a kindergarten classroom. I don't know if you can see that, but I'm just surrounded by right. like kindergarten books and whatnot. So I've been trying to teach my daughter down here and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been going all right. You know? All right, guys, I'm here with uh, Bo Miles. He's an adventurer, filmmaker, storyteller, and uh, endurance athlete. But Bo, I'd like to hear like, how would you describe yourself? Like if someone comes up to you and they're like, Hey, wh you know, who are you? What do you do? Like, what do you tend to say? It, well, it's been a really hard question for me. Uh, I think for the last sort of eighteen or twenty years, because I was many things. I think it's probably simpler now since I'm now unemployed. So, I worked for Australia's biggest university uh, as an outdoor educator, and in a very unceremonious way, in November last year, I got told that the course that I was working in and myself were no longer going to be run or offered. And so I left at Christmas, and uh, since then I've been unemployed. So I suppose. That's it's and it's been great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I suppose now I'm a writer and a filmmaker, and I don't know which one comes first. And so I'll probably ignore both and just say that I'm a creative or a I don't know, stay-at-home dad. Um, <laughs> so actually, I think I've just gone back on my word. I don't, I'm not sure I know what I am at all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man! But that's part of it, right? And that's kind of like the spirit I get from your films is, you know, is just figuring, figuring it all out, you know, as you go. Um, I read on your website that you, basically you described it as like having a curious view of the human condition. I'm like, well, there you go. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm, I am, I've never been bored ever in my life, uh, at least not as an adult. And so I'm, I'm really lucky in that way that I always find things to do or to occupy my mind and, I really am curious about humans and to a lot of ways too, or in a lot of ways, um, non-humans, you know, I, I, 
I remember standing in the field uh, waiting for a friend to pick me up once when I was about 25 and I was just there standing there with a donkey waiting to be picked up and, and I learned a lot about a donkey for a couple of hours, you know, about where the, the hair folds over their neck and what their, how, how long their ear is compared to their neck hairs and what its tail is, you know, used for in terms of flight, you know, it was really fascinating. Um, so anyway, I, I think uh, the natural world has me in spellbound as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, I mean, has that been your whole entire life or has that kind of developed, you know, through your adventures? Well, I've got really good, I mean, I've got great family life and really quirky parents in a sense. My mum's this really super driven matriarchal woman and my dad is a, is an artist. And so between the two of them, one being very structured and very disciplined and the other one being very creative and very free thinking and, and hard thinking, um, you know, we weren't allowed in the, inside as kids. You got to go play outside, and and yeah, the inside was where you ate and slept and went for a bath. You know, and that was sort of about it. So uh, that's certainly part of it. Lots of tree houses as kids, and lots of exploring with my siblings and um, and friends. So yeah, just good good parenting, I think. Good hard parenting. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Were you one of the kids that was like constantly breaking a bone? Uh yeah, not as much as look. I was a pretty timid kid. There wasn't. I was fairly safe, I think, as a kid, uh, and it hasn't emerged to be a little bit more to, to sort of shaking things up a little bit until adulthood, yeah. or even post post university. I was pretty. I was fairly conservative. I think my whole life until um, until adulthood, maybe alcohol and women <laughs> and the freedom of of going out and about sort of opened my eyes to the world a bit, you know. <laughs> And then I realized how much I was missing and how much you could sort of push your thresholds. Yeah. When, what was like the first kind of big adventure or expedition you went on? Um, I, I suppose my first film, although at first sort of uh, that made it into a film, because I took, I took a fair bunch of footage when I went to, um, I went on a, I think it was three months in the end to India, Nepal, and lots of Asia, and just by myself, and took a big heavy camera with me, and I was 19 at the time, um, and so I filmed a whole bunch, but it was crappy footage. It was sort of, it was sort of um, polished. It wasn't polished. It was bad footage, but it wasn't very interesting. It was just nice mountains and nice experiences and nice. It was boring as heck. You know, it showed no insight of the everyday travel of of a young guy, you know, doesn't, didn't talk about my struggles or my breakthroughs or the relationships I was having with people as I went. Um, so I suppose my first real adventure that I mapped myself against and I really kind of was a bit more honest was, was uh, my film called The Green Paddle when I went paddling across some island chains in, in the southern half of Australia. And I made a lot of mistakes and I wasn't a particularly good sea kayaker then and um, I got scared. I got thoroughly scared for the first time in my life when I was stuffed up loading my kayak on an island, a rocky island. And so that was sort of, yeah, that was probably it. No, I think I was 23 then. Yeah. Yeah. What What was it about sea kayaking, like in specifically that, you know, thing, like way of exploring? Uh, I suppose with sea kayaking, sea kayaking, um, it's been, it's been uh, said that sea kayaking is very similar to mountaineering. So mountaineering is this sort of you against the mountain sort of thing, and sea kayaking is very similar to you against the sea. Now, 
I would never say against now or versus. You know, this is you don't beat the sea or beat a mountain at all. <laughs> they they just do their thing, yeah. and it's not even a thing. It's just it's an it's an entity that is very big and powerful, and and goes via these huge ge- geographical and worldly forces. And when we think it's us against them, we kind of almost put our position ourselves as this sort of godlike position that we can manipulate those big global forces. And I'm just. I know that that's not the case, you know, other than the fact that maybe I'm a human and we're affecting these global forces. Yeah. But that's a whole other thing. Um, So in some respects, we're all this sort of tiny little piece of God because we're shaping the way, uh, you know, how much a mountain erodes or what the temperature is. But, um, yeah, I, I think now it's very much about just reading the world better and I'm just becoming better at reading the world. Yeah. Yeah, well, going out there, I mean, I I've watched the green paddle or the one that you put up on YouTube, the kind of edited, you know, I'm sure you've grown as a storyteller, just like you've grown as an adventurer through this. Um, but it was it was this thing that it was really cool, like seeing someone who was kind of unsure, but still willing to put himself out there and take this thing on that is like you just mentioned, I mean you have no control over the ocean and the ocean kind of freaks me out. I'm from Midwest, uh, you know, United States and I live in Colorado now. So just thinking about going out there and paddling off into the, to the ocean to try to get to an Island in the distance, it captures my imagination, but it's, it's terrifying. Well, it's still terrifying for me in some respects too, but I embrace that fear and I know of the capabilities now. So when I crossed over to Tasmania from the Australian mainland and you lose sight of land, yeah, um, that's a that's a really it's a very empowering moment when you can embrace that. You know, um, I remember when I was training for Africa, I paddled from one side of Africa to to Cape Town, and I was supposed to paddle more, but ran out of time and money, and my shoulder was dicky and. But when I was training for that, I, I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to go to Africa until I lose sight of land by myself on a home stretch of water. So I, I went down to the coast one morning, beautiful day, pretty much pancake flat other than some surf break. I get past the surf break and I just go. I go until I turn around every couple of, you know, every hour or two until I can't see land. And you just have this big blue rim all the way around you, you know. And, and that was... Um, that was really fantastic. You know, I was 25, I think, at the time, or 24 or so, by myself, and that's when I, you know, put my left foot on the rudder and lean, well, lean opposite and, and arc around and you head back to shore and then you see this smudge of land, which I imagine sailors, it must have been this amazing notion when they've been at sea for months and they see land. But, um, yeah, very empowering and, and fearful. And, 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 yeah, I landed, I landed that day as a different as a different person yeah yeah i mean it i i was curious about this and like kind of skipping ahead of my notes um that i made but like when you when you like lose the sight of the land and and just like traveling as much as you have you mentioned africa um is the to you is the world a small place or does it still feel insanely huge it's it's insanely huge, you know. And, and look, I I spend a lot of time in the in the US, and I really like people like yourselves. And and I think that that is the case. You know, America and Australia are very similar in many yeah. ways. You're geographically, you are way more diverse, America. But the lower forty eight and Australia, as big chunks of land, I mean, of course, you've got connections either side of you, but we're very similar. You know, you're you're a similar um, parallel in the northern hemisphere to where we are in the south, and a similar sized landmass. 
and we're massive. You know, I mean, to ride across America or to run across the lower 48, same with Australia, and the diversity that we have in our in our well, our, our continent and you folks in your country is just immense. And I'm starting to realise just how immense it is within a hundred kilometre or sixty mile radius where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. There are so many nooks and crannies that are just fascinating and worthy of exploration. Uh, so, man, the world is big. And as much as the trouble is, planes, you know, aircraft make it really seem small and it's just fake because you're flying at, you know, 500 miles an hour to get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even like going on the interstate, you know, people, like yeah. I said, I'm from the Midwest, man. Like people drive through my home state of Iowa all the time, but they're like, oh yeah, I drove through Iowa. I'm like, yeah, but you were on the interstate the whole time. Like you didn't, if you get off, like even by 10 miles, you're going to see a completely different world. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's ever, I'm not sure if I ever said it, uh, and probably you and I probably thought it when we were younger, um, that when you go to a place, you, you sort of say, oh, you've done it. You know, I know a lot, when a lot of Australians go to the go to Europe and they see 20 countries in 20 days on some yeah. sort of tour, they think, yeah, I've been that country, I've, I've done it, I've done that country. It's just such a, it's such an immature thing to, to think or do because, crikey, you know, you can't see a country in a day, let alone... 20 years in a sense and so it's about that sense of familiarity and uh and seeing beyond that bloody highway experience which a lot of people that's what they do yeah one well, honestly the thing that like i got i found your videos probably three months ago right and then we got into the lockdown and the thing that really was noticeable especially from your recent ones is exploring your the area that you're in you know like you do the mile a day or mile an hour around your property and then you do the run the line where you're following this old railroad bed um you know and then it's just this i just have found a lot of inspiration from you about like go out and explore your local area and you're gonna see see it from a whole new perspective which has been really cool yeah so you have to take a and, and look, I'm not, I'm never preachy about this because, you know, here, here is I'm talking to Mr. Bigfoot, who's got a different uh, view on the world, and he lives in Colorado. This beautiful part of the world that's so different to me. I'm in lush, rolling green hills with a high rainfall. Very, it looks like uh, England in a sense. A lot of people say that, and in many respects, that's why it was farmed and colonized pretty early because it looked like the homelands of yeah. the people that came here. Bit like, bit like New England to some degree. Um, so, you know, we've got really different worldviews and different geographies and different people that live in those places. And so we have these sort of different, uh, ideas of where we live. And yet we often, um, you've in the modern world too, because we're able to go so far, we often, uh, well, we just don't see what amazing opportunity is beneath us because of, you know, because our interstate can take us 60 miles away at the drop of a hat. And so um, we just don't go there. So, yeah, I'm really lucky in that now I, t I take in, into my local lands this sort of sense of curiosity, which, to be honest, though, that's taken a long time to, to create. Yeah, but I think, like, by you creating it and then making these, like, excellent films, you know, it's inspiring other people to kind of take up that mantle and kind of try to see their area in a similar way. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Look, I'm just doing my thing now, and I want to. Now that I'm uh, not making 
well, I'm not a teacher full-time anymore. I'm just making a lot more films this year. And I've got to finish my book, which is called The Backyard Adventurer. That'll come out early next year. And that's that's my thing now is to do more in less space and fill my time. Look, and you'd know too, right? You've got three kids. You're in lockdown. You have got so much more time yeah. intimately with your family unit at the moment. And so I'm not going across to university anymore. My wife's not going to work. We're, we're, I mean, we're saving so much time by not being in the car. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's brilliant. And we're, we're lucky we've got a little five-acre block where we can, you know, it's this little utopia, right? So we've got lots on here. And so I know everyone's not that lucky, but if we don't embrace that luckiness, we're, we're foolish. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. And I've discovered trails in my, you know, I'm kind mm. of in like a suburb, like Western Denver. So usually, you know, I'm 10 minutes from the mountains, so I'll just drive up into the mountains. But now I'm like, I'm finding all these trails like near my house that I've never even thought about before. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and they're beautiful too and you know they're, they're not exactly what we'd go in the car for you know yeah. so i'll often <laughs> jump in the car and go five minutes down to a local patch of single track forest which is in run the line the film which is beautiful single track there's about you know 15 miles of single track in there and i can do all various loops and sort of chop it up and change it up but if i don't leave then i save myself 12 minutes in the car there and back yeah which is a couple of extra miles here at home and I just got to force myself to run country roads. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not single track. It's not really, it's not as pretty. There's not as much bird life and animal life, but I'm still looking at farmers' houses and cows and, you know, it's great. Yeah. When when did you kind of jump into trail running? Well, I've been running my whole life. So I remember, you know, as any young man, I suppose, or young person, um, you know, 14 and 15, it was starting to get, you know, I was starting to grow into an extra kind, another kind of person. And so there was tensions at home, not bad tensions, just young man or young person growing up. Um, so I'd go outside a lot more, particularly in the evenings and the afternoons after school. And so I started running one day and it was, I think it was for football practice as well. And I, I loved it. You know, I'm only sort of 14, 15, went to the end of the road and back, which is a couple of miles. And, um, that I sort of hooked, you know, yeah. but I didn't really start running trails. I ran roads a lot. Uh, I reckon the trail thing, I don't know. As soon as I started getting more into outdoor guiding and whatnot, and you're doing it whilst guiding. So I'd be guiding through the day, but I'd get up at dawn and do a lap of the bush before I'd take a group somewhere. So I don't know. I've been doing it sort of 15, 20 years, and that's pretty much the only kind of running I've, I, I do now. I don't like roads. Yeah. One no. iota. Don't, yeah. Like, don't like straight lines. Don't like hard surfaces. And I'm a redhead in Australia with no ozone layer, so I like shade too. <laughs> um, yeah, man. How much uh, spider webs are hitting you in the face? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> like in the forest, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff just – clanging me in the face and i suppose in the farmlands too you know it's sort yeah. of uh, yeah as a metaphor it, it, i just and i don't like the the exposure of it as much too uh, and i just feel like i'm more it's so interactive in the forest running in on single track you know where you as you as you well know it, it's just nice it's like I, t I tell people like going up and down is just it's more engaging to the mind but also if i'm just running flat my legs are destroyed after like they hurt way more than running up a yeah. mountain. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Well, we engage way more muscles 
and, and it's far more balanced, right? It's like a painting. When you put a, a portrait of a person dead smack in the middle of the port of the canvas, it's kind of boring. Yeah. You know, it's not using all the dimensions of the space. And when we run in the forest and we're using different oblique versions of our muscles going left, right, up, down, our lungs are going from, you know, or our heart rate's going from 180 or 190 on the on the peaky bits down to 150. We just, we have that lovely diversity and we're so much better for it. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I got to mention, because you mentioned run the line, um, my favorite part of all of that, that whole uh, short film was you were just like obviously trespassing in various, you had to jump, you're counting the number of fences you're jumping, <laughs> which is yeah. hilarious to me. Um, and the cops pull you over and they literally look at you and they're like, um, you don't, you know, you look like you're a good guy. Like you don't look like a crazy yeah. guy. You can keep going. Meanwhile, you're in like, a train hat carrying like a shovel and i was like what do they mean yeah. he looks like a normal guy yeah well that's right i've had a lot of response on youtube uh from americans saying dude that you'd get shot if you're over here and that's I, what i was wondering yeah and so um look i had one sort of encounter with uh uh one of the landowners she was pretty angry that i was on her land and fair enough too yeah. you know and i take that on board that I was reasonably st strategic with the, the run the line. I knew that I wouldn't get everyone's uh, everyone to say yes if I went and talked to all the owners. Uh, not only that, it was going to take a long time to to go and find all the owners because I wanted to do it in person. Um, and so that would have taken months and months of diplomacy to try and get all the permissions. And I thought I'm never on anyone's land for long. I'm never going to leave a fence open. And I'm and I'm and I'm you know, I'm good with stock. So I figure I'd, I was never doing any harm. And, and a lot of other countries do this in Norway and Scotland and yeah. right to Rome's. So I thought I'll just take those kind of really nice philosophies and just be gentle uh, on these people's landscapes. And um, I was. And for the most part, I've got their permission. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'd do it differently next time, maybe. But uh, anyway, I've since gone and made up with a lot of the, the owners and got their blessing. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, do you think that would fly? You said you would spend some time in America here. Like, do you think that would you'd be able to pull it off? No way. I wouldn't attempt it either. It's just yeah. it's a different culture. And, you know, Australians don't have guns like you folks do either. And, yeah. uh, and we don't have that. We don't have that sense of, um, you know, we're still we're, we're a much younger Western country in a sense, too, that we don't have. Uh, we're still a little cautious or a lot of us, I am too, my generation, a little cautious as here I am owning this piece of land that has been owned by the Bunurong people, you know, the indigenous Australians for many tens of thousands of years. And I'm cautious of that, that I say, I am now the owner of this land. Yeah. Um, now if someone comes traipsing through my property, I'm going to ask them what they're doing, but I'm not going to take a gun. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to say, what, what's going on, man? You know? Uh, and if they say, look, I'm retracing this old, wayfinding route and they're not doing any harm i'm probably i'm gonna say go right ahead you would probably be like hey can i join you <laughs> yeah that's right and we've had a lot of people like that so the the train line right so our local uh, member for council or our member for government he's had it resurveyed to potentially open it up as a tourist route since the film came out that's awesome now he's no way is it going to happen because he only needs two owners in there that say get stuffed oh and yeah, you, yeah you can't open it up and so i think he's He's up against a bit of a fight, but there's still a lot of locals that would want it to happen. But 
yeah, I wouldn't try this in the States for many different reasons, and that would be one of them. I think that the feeling is just different, and I respect that. I respect that. Yeah, yeah. The one, so when you're coming up with these uh, creative projects, and I think, like, I don't know, I kind of want to hear what you think. Like, the difference between filming something like Africa by Kayak, like that long term expedition, you're by yourself, you're in a foreign country or a continent in that case, um, versus kind of the things you've been doing recently, which is a little more local and, and, you know, obviously your, your, your film making quality and equipment has, has improved, uh, along the way. Like what's the difference between doing like a project, like run the line and a project like your first few kind of sea kayak, like major adventures. Yeah, Good question. And, and as you've alluded to, um, things are evolving all the time. I'm becoming a better storyteller because I'm willing to show more of the mundane, which is actually really interesting to me and others. Yeah. And so to just show the everyday workings of your mind and your life and to do it with a bit of sense of polish, you've got to be still a disciplined storyteller. Let's let's compare the two. Africa by kayak, it's, you know, it's shot 90% by me or whoever I hand the camera to. You know, a local or Jared was with me for a lot and he did some great filming. Um, shitty sound quality because uh, it was hard. You know, you're always around somewhere that's windy. You've got yeah. battery life short and it's all bulky then. You know, that's 2007 and cameras are now a tenth of the size and ten times better. Um, and so now I go out and I, if I do it myself, I'm far more disciplined with my shot making um, because the quality is increased across the board and i take others so i now have really good partnerships now with one i have a filmmaking full-time filmmaking buddy mitch drummond so him and i are in total collaboration now you know i'm the creative and the front man and do a lot of the shooting and writing and he does a lot of the production so between the two of us and, and they're just as much his film as mine in the end awesome you know we can produce a lot of good content now, if you bring in a couple of cameramen there and, and um, some assistant direction and I, I ask my wife a lot of advice and Mitch asks his partner, you've got this team of five and if you're really critical and you trust each other, man, you can make great content. And, you know, when I hear people now saying, oh, that COVID shut down their filmmaking endeavours, I just think, well, that's not good enough. You've got to think sideways. Yeah. Um, you can still travel around the world, or sorry, around your area, and your camera is still in your hand, yeah. and you still can be mic'd up. You go and make something, you know, and and that's the, that's the sort of uh, inventive documentarian, you know. Yeah. Um. When you're out there filming something, how much of your brain is devoted to being an adventurer, being an explorer, and then in the back of your mind, like how much of your brain is like the filmmaker part? It's a great, it's a good insight, Chris, in that that is, that is probably the key conflict that I have now in my life, in that I now see how much potential there is in making films. So I get, I get now 10 or 20 emails a day saying, Bo, uh, when's the next film and why aren't you showing more content through lockdown? And I'm filming and I'm making, don't you worry, but I'm not filming everything. So... When I am on, when I'm filming something as a story or something as an idea, I will tend to be quite intensive with it. Um, and you can't use that intensity all the time. So I'd go I'd go bonkers if I was trying to film my whole life like Casey Neistat used yeah. to do, you know, um, or does. 
So I don't know, mate. It's always that conflict of how much do I tell the story in front of camera and how much do I just go and live my life. And when I when I tend to be on the clock, I tend to, uh, uh, you know, you become a bit more of a Steve Irwin character and you kind of just you become another kind of character. Yeah. Well, and the reason why I ask is to compliment you because watching the like I feel like you do actually do a really good balance with that and i think the voiceover narration uh helps with that because you're you can probably go out and film the adventure and like think of what it meant to you later like after you kind of like decompress and and all that yeah well thank you that's nice feedback and i'm i'm constantly trying to get better at filmmaking and i read a lot of the feedback on youtube and i, I probably shouldn't read all of it or a lot of it but um I was told once very early on by uh, I, I trusted him very quickly because he was so good at feedback. You know, some people are really good at giving constructive advice without being mean. And he just said to me when I was first starting out, he said, look, try never to use voiceovers. Voiceovers are um, the devil. <laughs> try and do as much naturally and in place as you can. And so whenever I'm out on a river, say, I will do. I'll, I'll. I'll think of an idea. I'll turn the camera on and I'll give it a take. If it doesn't sound right, or if I could say it better, I'll do another take. And so, I'm trying to. I, you know, I haven't done it yet, but I'd love to create a film where there's no no voiceover, and that's very hard because I don't always say everything. And and there's a power in the reflection too. Yeah. You know, I, the human being wouldn't have been as anywhere near as good if I didn't do that last little final piece. So what's the meaning of all this, Bo? Otherwise, it's just a stupid stunt. Yeah. And so I had to come up with something that was post-script. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you don't realize that stuff in the moment. Like, you only realize Absolutely. it after yeah. you're done. Yeah, my PhD was on that, you know. So you write a PhD. I wrote my PhD for six years, and my trip to Tasmania was only 15 days. And so you have... 15 day experience that you're going to write a six month project about. So clearly it is more about the power of reflection and what you think of that 15 days than the 15 days itself, even yeah. though that 15 days creates the reflective power. So what it could have been 24 hours or 12 hours or two minutes. It might've yeah. been a two minute epiphany. So um, yeah, reflection is huge. Of course we know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so a couple um, episodes of my podcast ago, I talked to, uh, an adventurer who's done a whole bunch of unique things uh, similar to you. And I I kind of went at it uh, by asking him just like to reflect on like a couple different words or terms or like concepts. Um, would that be would that be cool if I ask you just like, let's do it. OK, sweet. So the first one and feel free to draw from any kind of adventure that you've had. Um, but the first one I want to know about was just exhaustion. Like, how is your concept of exhaustion evolved throughout all this and also i want to add you're a new dad so maybe your uh, concept of exhaustion is still evolving <laughs> yeah look I'm, I'm not very good i must admit i'm not very good with sleep deprivation in saying that i, I also know too that once the body is uh I, I don't split the mind and the body so let's let's start with that in that when I'm sleeping and I'm happily sleeping and I get woken up and I've got to go and do something, um, it's horrible. And, and it's I think it's horrible for anyone. I suppose what the what I'm good at now is saying how much needs to get done. You know, if I've got a 100K run, for example, and I sleep at 80Ks 
and I want to sleep for 24 hours at 80 Ks because I just feel like it. But but I wake up and I want to keep sleeping, but I know I've still got 20 Ks. Well, I'm going to do that 20 Ks because yeah. the sleep's never – I can never give myself to sleep until I've finished. And so my great strength now, I suppose, and I don't know whether I've fully tested this or not, but my great strength is to get the job done as quick as you can or as in most sustainable fashion that you can because you're really not going to clock off until you've done it. Yeah. And so that's yeah, I'm very task orientated until it's done. Bo, you're going to put your energies into it. Yeah. How do you apply that to writing a book? Because I've heard from a lot of people like they're like, yeah, you want to do something really hard. That's write a book. <laughs> no, you're dead right. And particularly for, you know, Bigfoot and myself and whoever else in the world who is an outdoor person. Man, it sucks. You know, I'm sitting here writing a book instead of out there building things in the barn uh, or running or, or out there playing with my daughter. You know, it's sitting in front of a damn screen. And yet I know that I really enjoy this as well because it's a challenge and I'm probably not natively a screen kind of person. So, yeah, a book is hard. Um, I've got the discipline of a PhD behind me to do it. And, and most of the words are kind of there for the book. But this is when the, the book starts, is when you've got the bulk words that are all hodgepodge and they're in, but there's no narrative front to back. And it still needs that that real discipline from this point on. And that's the hard bit. Yeah. You know? Do you get, do you do like just interested in, in the writing format? Like, do you get feedback at this point like now that you got a lot of the words down is this when you send it to friends or or maybe not friends enemies who are going to give you good feedback? yeah yeah no good point um no i trust myself now i know when i've made a good piece of film yeah i really do yeah. I, I know it and i think you know we watched a, a little bit of the taylor swift documentary last night and i can't believe we did but we were on netflix for 10 minutes and we saw it there and we pushed go <laughs> yeah and i thought it was going to be the trailer yeah, you know, I thought we were going to watch two minutes of Taylor and see if we want to watch it. And we ended up watching half an hour's worth. And it was some good insight, you know, and she knows when she's written a good song. Yeah, She knows when she's got a banger under it, you know, that she's just written. I know that with film and I know that with writing. I know that when a piece of writing boils down to something that's good, I know it's good. The trouble is with one piece of good writing, you need to write three or 400 little good chunks of writing for it to be a good book. So I trust that now. I, I, so no one has seen my book, not the lighter day of it, other than myself and the, and the publicist or the publisher. And I trust her. You know, I've known her for 18 months now, but I so trust her. She gives great feedback and she knows how to do it and she knows how to do it with me. And I presume she's different with every other author. Um, so... Yeah, I just I just trust these key allies, my wife included, but she won't get the she won't get the manuscript until it's in the can, until it's sort of pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so back to the words. What about um how has your concept of risk uh changed? Like were you always a risk taker? I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about being kind of cautious and conservative as a kid. Um, but like how has that kind of changed? Well, what blows the mind of most of my students and the people I talk to is that when I say I'm categorically, strategically not a risk taker, yeah. I just am not. And um, I, I think I, I just know how capable humans are, not me. I'm not an expert really in anything. I'm good at lots of things, but I, you know, there's better kayakers and better runners and better decision makers out there. Um, but my, my particular brand of, you know, the cobbled together, I, I can build things, I can 
give good first aid and go long distances. And so I've got this sort of skill set that I'm very aware of. And I'm generally always within that skill set. Um, and the, the thing I suppose that people think I'm a risk taker is that I'm at a threshold of, of particular skill sets. I don't think I am. I think I'm sort of, you know, I, I'm, I know the theory of adventure and I know the theory of risk, which is competency versus um, skills. Uh, sorry, competency skill set versus, geez, what is it? Adventure. I'll get back to you on that one. If you have the compass, <laughs> if you have the skills, man, you're all good. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, that's right. It's I, like comfort. I just, I, is I'm, it like comfortability almost, or you know, like when you start, you slowly build your comfort level in all of this. And I'm sure sea kayaking was like a great example of that. Like, what scared you in the Green Mile or Green Mile? Oh my God, so many people probably do that. What scared you in yeah, the Green yeah. Paddle probably isn't the same as what would scare you now, like 10 years later. Well, that's right. Yeah. But the thing is, you don't make those same mistakes. You, yeah. you know, you learn from those early mistakes. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think in, I'm, I'm tripping over myself because I think it really is just competency equals this, this, the risk paradigm. So as your competency and skill set increases, you increase what you can do in a risk capacity. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, I'd like to debunk that in a sense because, you know, they're much the same. It really is a flat line. As soon as, you, as your competencies increases, your skill set or, or the risk is not going up. You're not doing more risky stuff because it's staying at the same phase as you. Um, yeah, so the whole risk thing, I, I think it drives me kind of bonkers. I did an hour of writing before you and I talked today and, and it was on what I took and what I did not take when I paddled to work. You know, I did this really pared back adventure where I paddled to work and it took four days. It looks like the coolest thing see. ever. You haven't t uh, put out that video yet, have you? No, that's coming out later this year. Um, so that I've, yeah, we're editing them at the moment, the walk and the paddle to work. And that was not only a, a really hard little slice of adventure, but I took so little with me. I wore a wetsuit, I took a bivy sack, I took tins of food and a hand of bananas. And I drank water wherever I could get it along the way from cattle troughs. And so I left behind sat phones, PFDs, extra sunglasses, more warmth, all backups, no first aid. And it's, it was fine. you know. And if I needed any of those things, well, all right, you stop and you walk to the next farmhouse and you get help. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the idea being that you want to be autonomous, right? You don't want to have to ask for help. And that's why our backpacks are so full now. We become this world um but not only do you very rarely use the stuff that's in your world that you take with you but there's nothing wrong with going to the farmhouse and asking for help and in fact when our expeditions do that when i take students out and we something that I, we can't fix on the run and we have to go and ask for external help it's the best part of their expedition when they break the expedition bubble and they go and actually receive real world help from a local yeah and it's probably one of the most interesting parts of a local's day you know yeah, it, it makes it – people feel empowered that they're helping these people that wash up on their doorstep. Yeah. Um, and, look, we don't expect that help, and if they turn us away, fair enough. We've got to come up with another solution. And that's totally cool, and that's part of the remit. But very rarely do humans do that. They're great at helping others. And, uh, you know, when someone breaks down at the front of my farm here, I'm going to help them. Yeah. Absolutely. They're going to get them on their way, and we're gonna, I'm going to throw all my tools at them and – 
you know, tell them who's good down the road that has a spare tire and all this, you know, so you just help. Um, and I like that. And so I'm, yeah, that's becoming part of my adventure stick. Yeah. What about, um, just drive in general? Like what motivates you? What drives you? I don't know. I get asked that <laughs> every day, you know, why do you do, why do you do this as opposed to not doing that? And, um, it's the million dollar question to be honest. Yeah. You know, I don't know why I want to write another 250 words before I go for a cup of tea. I'm not sure why I, I want to go and finish the current film I'm working on at a particular time so that my wife can go back to work at a particular percentage. I suppose, I suppose saying those things, I'm very practical and um, I do like chalking things up. But I'm, I don't think I'm that boring either. So, and whether that's boring, I, I don't know. But I just like doing things, I suppose, and I'm not sure where that's come from, Chris. It's just, it's here and I'm just, uh, you know. Well, it almost um, brings back to that curiosity that, that your website mentions. Yeah, I suppose I really do like keeping busy, you know. Um, yeah. I love work ethic. I love working. I, you know, when people, and I feel really sorry for people that have had jobs that are just jobs for their life, you know, and they can't wait for five o'clock to come or they can't wait to get a new job or to whatever. Um, and I've had better jobs and, and not great jobs, but they've never been bad and I've never had that five o'clock itis. Yeah. And that become me. Whatever I'm doing is just what I'm doing. And I figure, all right, if you're really successful and you've got all the money in the world, what do you do? What do you just eat ice cream and and play golf all day? You know, is that what is that do you do that for fifty years? Yeah, that so, doesn't seem like the victory lap I would want to take. No. Absolutely, dude. So, you know, I really love the 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 complexity and the the habits and and the you know the upskilling of just our day to day work I love it I love it and so um that's my life you know that it, work is life right so I, I really like the fact that it goes somewhere as well and I know that the more cultured or Western we become the less we do and that sort of drives me a bit bonk because I want to go back to doing stuff yeah yeah definitely and I think that that definitely comes across what did you uh what did you think about teaching I'm a teacher myself so. Uh, I'm always interested in the link between, uh, you know, endurance racing or adventure and, and education. Well, I love teaching. I love the interface. In, in, I wouldn't be as good a teacher as you, you these days because I've been teaching university students for the last 12 years, 10 or 12 years. So before that, I was teaching everyone from an eight-year-old through to a, a 22-year-old yeah. uh, or more you know, up to post-grads. But, you know, for very much the last decade, I've very much been teaching 18 to 22-year-olds, these young adults who are paying to be there in, in my classroom or in, the, in the, the discipline that I'm teaching. And so you're preaching to the choir. In many respects, you don't have to be great at what you do. You just have to deliver okay content. <laughs> Whereas you can't get away with that teaching year eights and nines and 10-year-olds. No way. Yeah. You know, you need to be a great teacher as well as delivering good content. And so I love teaching because um, maybe because I've been able to teach really good content without me having to be uh, a great teacher for the last 10 years. So I've gotten away with things. But I think it's still such a powerful and needed thing that you're good at both. Um, and so when I see good teachers and good good people out there i think you know you're worth your weight in gold well and i think like you know when you when we we watch your videos and we see you like crafting a table 
um, or a paddle or, or something like that. Like, I think you can craft like a really good lesson as a teacher. Like, I think it actually is somewhat of a very similar skill. And I think there's a link, at least for me personally, like I've learned things through adventures and endurance racing that I can take back and like apply in the classroom. And some of that is, you know, the, the, um, like elasticity and being flexible and, and is problem solving things like that well you've got kids right so you're 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 good with humans probably or most likely i think ultimately too you just need to be interested in the students yeah and there's a lot of professors out there you know i've worked with some brilliant minds and i haven't really worked with them but i've worked in the same area as them and they are wonderful thinkers and wonderful writers and to a degree wonderful humans but they're not as interested in the students as they probably should be. Yeah. And that and that's a, and that's a great shame because when you show interest in your students, um, they respond tremendously. Uh, and it's a very simple truth uh, that, yeah, that's what makes great teaching. Yeah. Well, so kind of to wrap up here because I know you're kind of uh, short on time, busy writing the book and and all that stuff. Um, but uh, when when. I'm trying to think how to ask this because I wanted to ask when you were growing up, what captured your imagination? Um, and, but I guess like that could still apply to right now. So like what, what really captures your imagination? What gets you excited? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good, you, you know, you're becoming a good question asker because you retailed it then to what I'm thinking now. And one of my introduction parts of my book is that I can't talk of myself as a 10-year-old anymore or even an 18-year-old. I've lost it. That yeah. was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I don't know how or why I did things at that age. You know, you know, I can tell myself or I can imagine, all right, I was up a tree at this age and I was enjoying it, but I don't know why I went up the tree or why I was enjoying it. So it's very abstract. So I need to, in a sense, talk from my adult now version. So me sitting here right now, listening to that question i can give you some really insightful truthful things and i think what you you just asked was what excites me about doing things now um and i say this to nearly every podcast i do i'm 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 genuinely scared of not being on the planet you know i don't want to die and so i see such potential in every day and that and that sounds like a religious coup, you know. But and I'm not religious, but I, I just know that when the sun comes up, there's all this potential in the day, and I want to use it. I want to experience things. Um, I want to create things, um, and I want to be physically active. I have this great body to go do things with, you know. And it's only getting older. I've I've reached my biological high point, so damn it, use it, you know. <laughs> um, and that's about it, mate. You know, I'm just I just want to do things, so I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And I, I wanted to ask you about the mile an hour, but I think that's what you just said, the the potential of the day. I think that was the conclusion. Yeah. And that's um and that's gone really big on YouTube. You know, that's had millions of views and people really like it. And it's been copied all over the world in various I, ways. I did it a couple of weeks ago. I did two miles an hour because I'm a wimp with sleep, man. I was like, I don't want to stay up. But uh, yeah, I got my neighbor, dude. We were, we got out at five or four Wait. in the morning. Yeah, and we did two yeah. miles. He'd he'd never ran more than five miles his whole entire life, and he ended up doing fourteen with me, uh, and I ended up Fantastic. doing twenty six. Yeah, man, it was it was cool. Um, I was laughing though because you know I just like you, I tried to do the checklist, 
you know, yep. of things to do. But I'm like, man, Bo's out here like building tables and stuff and not like manly stuff. And I'm like reorganizing my closet and, uh, Oh, dude, there's nothing wrong with that. I should have done more of that stuff, I tell you. <laughs> but the, see, you, you did two miles an hour too. Yeah. So you you had a lot less time each hour to do stuff in a sense as yeah. well. You'd come back and you'd have a drink or you'd do something small and all of a sudden that top of the hour comes around real quick. So um, I imagine your format was a bit harder to follow as well. It was more running centric. Yeah, yeah. I just, like I said, I just didn't want to stay up all night because I'm a wimp, so with this no you got three kids dude. you don't you need no excuse <laughs> yeah they'll keep me up all night anyways but yeah man well Bo, thank you for coming on the show uh i would love to kind of like pick your brain again at some point in the future um because i just i just really respect what you're doing and what you're putting out there is like really really high quality uh really entertaining uh little short films and movies um that i've really appreciated watching well, thank you, Bigfoot. Good on you, Chris. And we'll um, we'll talk again in a year or so. I'll have three or four more films out, or more, maybe more by the time uh, a year rolls around. So we'll chat down the path. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Thank you, Bo. Oh, hey, where, um, I, where can they find your stuff? Sorry. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm sure you say that anyway. But, uh, yeah, go to YouTube. You know, that's where it's at now. That's the only way I can make pocket money So, um, or at the moment. So uh, life is really good, and YouTube's – you know, YouTube's giving me 10 or 20 bucks a day to buy milk and bread and, and life's good. And there's some good content there, some quirky stuff. Uh, cool. My website as well, or Instagram, Boisms. You can follow me on that. Um, that'll kind of keep you up to date with, with my stuff. And um, thanks for watching. Yeah, perfect, man. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you again. Thanks, mate. Bye. All right, ladies and gents. Uh, this is back, present, Chris. I don't know. I, we need to come up with like a better name so it's not confusing all summer. Um, we're back. Uh, I honestly truly wouldn't... When I think back to the episodes I've recorded, the ones I've geeked out about, there's like, you know, the ones that I'm really, really proud of and the ones that I'm like super geeking out because I just am a huge fan of the person I'm talking to. Uh, Bo is like in the intersection of those things. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed talking with him. He's a fantastic person to interview, just a very fascinating human being. Uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about doing the show is being able to meet and talk to and kind of learn from uh, people who fascinate me and have a unique view on the world. And Bo definitely does both of those things. And uh, I've just become more and more inspired by him since we recorded this episode like a year and a half ago or two years ago or however long ago it was. Um, he is incredible. So go check out, like I said, I highly recommend buying his book. I bought the audiobook version. It's called The Backyard Adventurer. Um, I went through that. I was I would go running and I would listen to kind of his perspective on some of the adventures he went on, uh, which was amazing. But also go in, check out all of his short films uh, on his YouTube channel. There's a whole bunch more now. But I mean, honestly, if you've never watched any of these, like just get ready to have like two days of sitting on the couch. And, and then after that, after those two days, get ready to have like eight weeks of just being like, I'm gonna like count the number of roses on my block or something like some sort of weird, quirky, awesome adventure around your house uh, where you're able to appreciate the area you're in uh, on a much deeper level. Um, 
Or my neighbor's like, you're going to end up building a freaking tree house, like a place for you to sleep in your tree. I'm like, that might be the next thing because that's what Bo did. And Bo's my hero. <laughs> so, so yeah. So uh, check all that stuff out and we'll come back at you guys next week with another rerun. Uh, and then the new episodes will start releasing uh, next September when I'm kind of back after hopefully a summer full of grand and not so grand, but also amazing adventures. So uh, yeah, we'll get back at you then.